the garden help you need. From three of the top experts in the Mid-South, grown by your friends at Dan West Garden Center. For details on how you can start home growing, visit danwestonline.com. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990 with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, good morning, gardeners, and welcome to Mid-South Gardens. Gardening. Gardening. Yeah, did you hear Jim go, ning? <laughs> He's going to correct you every time. Do you know I do, do, okay, do I do this to irritate you, Jim? Probably. Or no. am I just like that? She's just like that. <laughs> hey, but welcome to the sports show. You know uh, tennis, uh, Memphis won last night. Who? Who? What do you mean? <laughs> University <laughs> of Memphis. Yeah. Those, Good Lord, that, what a great win. Go, go, team. So, uh, yeah, I stayed up and watched the, you know, the recording, so I'm climbing in bed a little later than normal mm-hmm. last night, but so, uh, it was we'll well worth it. So, we'll just wake you up every once in a while. We'll poke you. Yeah, but it was well worth it, y'all. Tigers did win, so now we get to play Houston again. The revenge game. Mm, interesting. Mm-hmm. Even if your garden's falling apart, you're going to sit and watch that game. Oh, you got to. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can always go after the game, just hop back out there and take oh, care right. of business. Right. Just tell those and slugs. And this was our cricket team. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, Jim doesn't watch basketball. Okay. <laughs> oh, A lot my of goodness. stuff going on, y'all, this time of year. Um, yeah, I noticed there was a little daylight outside, which means... A little mist, too. Yeah, which means next Saturday it's going to be dark. Well, yep. you know, we, what, set, we spring forward tonight. Yeah, yeah so, so don't y'all forget that. Do you have to get up at 2 and then change it, or does yeah, it, it still work? work? Yeah, no, you, that's right. No, you can't do it before you go to bed at night. <laughs> yeah, that didn't work but, that way. But one promising thing, uh, I don't know if you noticed it when you pulled in the parking lot, right across the street there's these two huge... Uh, saucer magnolias in full bloom. They are beautiful. And, you know, what does that mean? Because we just went through one of the worst ice, snow, cold spells we've had in many years, right? Right. They were waiting for the snow to melt, and then they just... Exactly. So, you know, if they're they're early bloomers, of course. Mm -hmm. And if they're blooming, that means we've got hope for all the other things out there that potentially are supposed to bloom this spring, Mm -hmm. right? I have looked at a lot of stuff in the last week, and I haven't found nothing dead. Isn't that great? In your garden... Anywhere garden. in That's other gardens. Good. Yeah, That's everything good. is green. You know, I've got a mystery magnolia that looks absolutely terrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's green all the way to the tip. Yeah. And now mm-hmm. there will be some damage on creeping fig and, you know, Confederate jasmine. Indian and hawthorn. Well, Indian hawthorns. You know, my Asiatic jasmine looks great that's on the ground because mm-hmm. it was snow covered. Now, what went up the trunks of the trees is dead as toast. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but for the most part. Yeah. All that stuff that looks horrible out mm-hmm. there. Uh, hawthorns. Now, I do believe that there will be some damage, some really mm-hmm. dieback on hawthorns. Yeah. But I'm like, I'm with Jim. Everything else that I've scratched, mm-hmm. uh, even most of the gardenias that I've scratched, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they still have good green tissue in the stems. Uh, the azaleas, you know, the, the mm-hmm. leaves are fried, but even the buds still yeah. look good Right, on them. right, they do. Um, you know, the, uh, the camellias, you know, they're going to be okay. Mostly everything out there that looks horrible is in lower mm-hmm. pedlums. You know, every mm-hmm. leaf was fried on yeah. them. They're going to be okay because proof right across the street, mm-hmm. the early blooming magnolias are in full bloom. We lost a lot of py- pyracantha at the garden center. It was planted in all different areas. Yeah, I saw some every... fried pyracantha mm-hmm. also. Mm-hmm. One set is fried. The other two I haven't checked. I just don't want to know right now. <laughs> but what I would do, man, I'd go out there and do some early feeding. Uh, you know, whether it's a good organic uh, like Milorganite or Holly Tone or Plant Tone, one of the Espoma products, 
and or in conjunction with like a grower special, you know, that 1266, which is a really good slow-release fertilizer. Uh, a lot of people are doing both. They're putting both of them on there just to give them that energy, mm-hmm. that, that nutrient value. It would be there when they start to flush out. They might right. need a little extra help flushing out mm-hmm. this spring. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. And root stimulator, the Super Thrive with the seaweed is good. Kangaroo roots <laughs> is a good one, too. And add that along with your uh, granule fertilizer for the extra energy as well. And wait a little bit on things to see how they flush out and mm-hmm. then do your pruning. You know, might have a few dead limbs here and there. Or the tips of certain things might be. But wait, just don't go in there and start chopping, Yeah, which I, I want to do I right know. Now. I mean, people, <laughs> in fact, people have already come into the garden center and have already done a lot of cutting back mm-hmm. prematurely. I mean, there's, yeah. you know, Kenny, what do you, do you think I did the right thing? And I said, well, you didn't do the wrong thing, mm-hmm. but I don't think you needed to go in there and be as, uh, cut these things back as drastic as you did because of burnt foliage. And they mm-hmm. see that and they think the plant is dead. And I've seen a million pictures, Jim, I'm sure in Vader y'all have too. People have either sent me or brought in, you know, I guess phone pictures are great mm-hmm. because you actually get to see what people are talking about Yeah, uh, most of the time. Right. But, um, you know, no doubt about it. We're just saying there is a lot of damage out there, but mostly it's, it's foliage damage. Thank what, goodness. What did you think? What was your most tender thing, Jim, in your garden that you might have been worried about that made it? It would have been the gardenia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I've got, I've got a, a tree form. Um, Southern Indica Azalea mm-hmm. that the buds on the outside where I can reach them yeah. are, they're toast. Mm-hmm. They're not going to mm-hmm. open. But, you know, it could be there'll be some on it. But, you know, I've already got camellias in bloom. Yeah, uh, yes. So. Oh, my goodness. It's such a welcome look and then, to and the And some are, are behind and, mm-hmm. you know, the buds are firm. I think they're going to open. Yeah, me yeah. too. Um, But, you know, we'll just have to wait and see here. Well, you can just shake the tree if the buds fall off. Yeah. <laughs> and then people were asking me also, okay, you know, you know, all this dead foliage that's on my shrubs, uh, should I remove it? And I said, only if you have enough time, you know. Yeah. Should oh you? My. You can. Uh, do you have to? <laughs> Absolutely not. You know, eventually that uh, dead foliage is going to fall off on its own. Yeah. So we've given everyone permission today just to wait. Yes. If anybody was up with that on your list of let's prune, prune, prune. I mean, obviously, if it is dead, if you scratch it underneath, you can do some of that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and it may be to the plant's advantage once you know that how much of it is green to cut it back a little further. Um, you're going to see... Hold on. Say that, what do you mean by that? Okay. I mean, if you go out there scratching the stems. If it, even if it's green all the way to the top, because yeah. plants tend to generate the most foliage at the top. Yeah. Okay. And what they may happen is it will flush and you'll have less sunlight into the inside and it may not be as full as you would like. So you may it may be to your advantage to do some pruning back further so that you... Can you encourage that growth underneath? Mm-hmm. Right. At, at a bud union. Yes. Yeah, make sure it's at a yeah. bud union. Now, now, am I going to do it at an angle or flat across? Because well, you can kind of. Ideally, it an angle, but, yeah. you know, if you're in a hurry. Something's better than nothing. Yeah. You know, on a small limb, it's not going to, mm-hmm. you know, make any difference really. Yeah, I'm out. It's not going to hold a lot of water. All right. Now, what about yeah. the hawthorns, though? Because I've seen, uh, you know, where I've been out there scratching stems, of course, to see if there's green up under there, even though the foliage looks horrible. Who's that crazy man in my shrubs? Yeah, but I've seen. Yeah. <laughs> scratching my plants. What's he doing? But I've seen uh, a lot of 
not green tissue. Well, there's yeah. some tip damage and yeah. some stuff. Um, I had a gardenia frost proof that had probably five to six inches of dead mm-hmm. pencil size young mm-hmm. stuff because I had cut it back last year fairly severely uh, or the year before when we had a deck put in. So uh, it had a lot of very thin stems, and they died back to the trunk, and that's okay because I have now reduced it to like 18 inches. A manageable size. I'm going to move it. But do we think the hawthorns are going to be okay, though, overall? Uh, They look so so. bad. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm really uh, looking forward to seeing what happens. I think there's going to be some tip damage out there for sure that we have to cut those back. You'll see a lot of them, I think, die back to the level of the snow. Mm-hmm, really? Yeah. Right. That, that gave yeah. them protection. The roots are, I think, still viable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, But I don't know if I could cut all my hawthorn down and wait for them to regrow. Or just dig them up and replant. Yeah. That's why we have nurseries. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. And then, because there are a number of things that I don't think I can wait for them to grow. Like, uh, how long would a hawthorn? I mean, they've got bigger roots. A couple of years so, to get yeah. back yeah. looking decent. All right, so I guess That's the biggest thing taken out of this is we see a lot of superficial damage out there. Be patient. Might have to do some tip pruning here and there, but go ahead and start feeding these shrubs uh, to give them that extra energy to flush back out this spring. Yes, yeah. or... I had somebody on the on the Facebook group say, I can't wait, I need to plant some annuals. I said, go right ahead. Yeah. You know, nurseries <laughs> love to sell you twice right. or thrice. You might make it and you might not thrice. Yeah, you do that in Memphis three times and you finally win. All right, y'all. Y'all want to give us a call? 260-5926. That's 260-5926. Now, back to Mid-South Gardening, grown by your friends at Dan West Garden Center. For details on how you can start home growing, visit danwestonline.com. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. You can find me at Palladio. You can Ken- find Kenneth at uh, where? Dan West Garden Dan Center West, on Poplar. Yeah. Yes. And you can find me at Mid-South Gardening Gardening and USDA Zone 6, 7, and 8. Yep. That's our Facebook group. You can send a message to any one of us in here. I'll be the one to answer it. <laughs> but, <laughs> Thank you, Jim. No, just kidding. I'll send. I'll send it on to Kenneth. Please Levada don't. If you want to talk to them, it's a great webpage. I've looked at it many times, Jim. And if you want to give us a call this morning, two six zero five nine two six. And of course, you can always go to Facebook Live and just stream mm-hmm. it, watch the show live. Yeah. And then if you miss all of that, you can always go to the podcast later on. Right. Exactly. So on pruning, um, like I'm standing outside looking up at trees that they have no leaves of course and this is like a really good time to see the structure of the tree to mm-hmm. be able to know what limbs to take out if you need to yeah if you need to exactly which these trees do because they're growing some of them look like uh sprouts that came off the side that are growing straight up you're looking at your tree form and then you see a big limb straight up then i saw some limbs that were rubbing against each other and these were on just regular trees yeah or? these were oak trees gotcha. oak i believe yeah. mm-hmm. and they were planted you know commercially and so after they're planted no one goes back in and and limbs them up properly and, um, you know, takes all the stuff out that can cause future problems. I mean, I'm thinking about all those yards we go in where people's got 50-year-old oaks, and you can see where they would not have to have an arborist there paying all mm-hmm. that money to prune certain limbs mm-hmm. out if they had done it when it was younger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, 
There's that. Go out and identify what you want pruned and mark it or do it, actually. It, what, I don't know. Is there any trees we shouldn't be working on right well, now? Well, I wouldn't do maples and birches because still they're going to bleed like a son yeah. of a gun, you know. It's yeah, really best something. to do those going into winter after they've gone right. dormant. And, and really, that's true for most all trees. Mm-hmm. But it's not going to hurt, you know, your oaks to take out a limb or something like that. Yeah. Now, you never want to, if it's got foliage on it, take anything out of the top canopy because right. that's going to open up the inside and that foliage has a thinner protective cover on the leaf mm-hmm. and it'll fry it and yeah. you don't want to lose a year's worth of food production uh, by doing that. And now what about the crepe myrtles that, you know, remember not this, not this winter, but last year, yeah, last no, winter, November of 19 is when we got the, yeah, really they were, uh, wow. November of 2019. That mm-hmm. was just yesterday. I'm thinking I about know. this. You know how a lot of the, uh, the tissue was burned, uh, mm-hmm. even on crepe myrtles. Uh, and we had to go out there and do some major cutting back. We had about four feet or so in the tops of almost all of them that died. Yeah, and, and Jim, but you said you saw some um, at a bank or something. Yeah, I showed that were you showing a that those same symptoms where you know how it looked the, like witch's broom. Right, the, the, the new growth that had come out last year has begun to curl inwards, and that's usually a sign that that tissue is dead. Mm. So on a crepe myrtle, so we may see some of that that was just wasn't thick enough to protect itself. So we may see some additional pruning in crepe myrtles. So, you know, some people go out there and prune their crepe myrtles every year. Shame No on big them. deal. I know, yeah. crepe myrtle. Um, just can't help it. And to maintain them, you know, for whatever reason. But there are a lot of people that, that have never, ever really cut the crepe myrtles back. And you're saying we could even still see some you know, damage. We, we could, but I mm-hmm. think the ones that sprout normally right. and weren't later in the season right. after the pruning, I think they're more likely to only have minor chip damage, mm-hmm. you know, like the, the bloom, spent bloom from last year and that sort of thing. Well, that's one of the reasons why we're saying don't prune back all the way or don't prune your crepe myrtles back because all the new growth is maybe weaker or thinner. Uh, fresher, so that right. would make it more susceptible to freeze yeah. damage. Oh yeah, and, and you I have a, a huge Potomac in my backyard. I mean, this thing's got a trunk bigger around than me, and um, wow, I see. Yeah, wow. I don't mean <laughs> it like that. I just mean a crepe myrtle it's with huge. like a human-sized yeah. trunk. But yeah. it's uh, it has. I see no indication mm. of any damage in it. Hmm. So yeah, that's good. So we'll still get our bloom. I mean, really, everything's going to bloom. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to have beautiful bloom. Unless, <laughs> unless no, we, get another hard we get another hard Arctic Express. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. you know, the frost date's April 15th. So you want to be careful planting anything tender in the ground before then. You know, right. be prepared to throw sheets over those hydrangeas. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And we've had people come in looking for, you know, tomatoes and impatience. I mean, they're, you can't blame them. They're ready to get out there and mm-hmm. have some fun. Because of the weather. Exactly. Yeah. You know, they've been hemmed in the house, not, you know, COVID and weather and everything else. Uh, but, you know, trees and shrubs, uh, perennials, you know, you can get them in the ground, not a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when it comes to tender, tender stuff, just be careful and be prepared to protect them. Uh, if you do get them in the ground before April 15th, and we all know the garden centers, you know, we get stuff in before mm-hmm. April 15th, um, but we just tell them, you know, just be prepared to protect these if need be. And when I say these, I mean these tender annuals mm-hmm. that we're talking about. And then lastly, guys, we're talking about crate myrtles. Um, you know, years ago, crate myrtle bark scale, you know, showed its ugly face around here. And it seemed like the first two or three years, it was really bad. I mean, it was just spreading like wildfire, Right. 
and then for two or three years, it didn't. I mean, it was out there, but I just didn't hear as much about it. Maybe the systemics work. Well, they do, <laughs> but all of a sudden, I'm starting to hear a lot about crate myrtle bark scale. Um, and that's the little white bumps, you know, on the side of the trunks and the limbs. And then they, everything starts turning black from the sooty mold. Uh, and if you had that going on with your crate myrtle, because I'm seeing a lot of it for some reason, uh, all of a sudden, is get the tree and shrub insect drench. It's a product that you just mix with water. You pour it right around the trunk of the tree. You only have to do it no more than one time per year. Sometimes it lasts up to two years. But it really does a good job on that crate myrtle bark scale. Now, the sooty mold that is a you know that you see with crate myrtle bark scale, it doesn't go away overnight. You know, a lot of people think, okay, well, I killed my scale, but I still had this black mold growing on my trunk and limbs. And I thought this stuff would go away. And it, the answer is eventually it will. You can either try to wash it off. You know, you can scrub it off or be patient and let it just eventually just kind of fluff off. But the scale doesn't go away overnight and the sooty mold does not go away overnight. So no. keep that in mind. So do fertilizing on those things too. boost up the energy to... Um, what is it I'm trying to say? To Boost keep, up the energy well, you, so it's harder for an insect to enjoy that spot. The healthier the plant, <laughs> the less prone they are to insects and disease, no mm-hmm. doubt about it. You know, I was wondering, instead of, uh, maybe we see this backwards. We have an insect problem. Maybe we have a predator problem for the insects. Or maybe we have a planting problem. Mm, mm, this is true as because well. Because we tend to want things that don't naturally grow mm-hmm. here. Uh, which yeah. our insects like. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's um, true too. So, now, but it's because people want to have these, and mm-hmm. if you're going to plant, particularly if you're going to plant a lot of one thing, you know, you're uh, going yeah. to set up that little microenvironment for the disease to or insect to mm-hmm. uh, continue to propagate itself. Right. Yeah. So, a good example is if you had a lot of crepe myrtles in your yard, then you have a lot of damage. A lot more chances of getting it. Yeah. You know, I have. Two big crepe myrtles, and I've treated them. Last time I treated them was two years ago. Don't see any scale on mm-hmm. them at all. So, uh, and we're seeing that with the metacloprid. It's uh, I think lasting at least two years. I really believe that. Yeah. In our crepe myrtle, if it's properly applied, right. let me state that. And um, I've heard uh, Leslie Hollinsworth, our field inspector for UT, has said they're getting three to three and a half years control on the. Um, uh, Texas. Um, the use? Yeah, it's the um, oh, Podocarpus? Edelgid that gets in the, the trees. Oh. So um, they've been spraying large areas over in the Carolinas for years. And, and the nice thing is, you know, all, every, everybody hears all this nasty stuff about a metacloprid, but they're not finding it. You know, it, it's been sprayed for 20 years and they're not mm-hmm. finding it in the water systems, you know, in, in the groundwater. There's. You know, and it's doing a good job, but it's lasting mm-hmm. up to about three years. Yeah. yeah, we have used that for a long time, and yeah. I haven't heard an, anything negative. Oh, yeah. You know, before they started accusing bees, it had been on the market <laughs> for 19 years Yeah, before anybody started. Yeah, because so, remember and that was because of that report out of Yale University. Well, remember, it was a big, no truth yeah, in it. Yeah, it was a big mm-hmm. blow up that uh, if you used imidacloprid, whether in a spray form or in a drench form, uh, that it would get into the smallest particles of the pollen and so forth, and it really affected the bees. And they'd run studies on that. And depending on what uh, piece of literature you read, um, some of them say, yes, that actually is true. And, you know, a lot of them that you read say absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, so we know that it doesn't get into the reproductive parts in the quantities 
in most plants and the quantities to kill insects. You know, it's really frustrating because you're studying and looking for the right answer and then now you're seeing in colleges but you're not getting the right answer but we can talk about that later give All us a call who funds the grants exactly 260-5926 Now, back to Mid-South Gardening, grown by your friends at Dan West Garden Center. For details on how you can start home growing, visit danwestonline.com. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. And um, we've got a couple of questions on uh, Facebook Live. Mm -hmm. I think one of them was fruit trees. Yeah, Lovely, delicious Uh, fruit. Oh, boy, is that a topic. A long topic. (laughs) Don't plant it. (laughs) (laughs) Audrey uh, said, good morning. Talk about fruit trees. Uh, Fruit trees are, you know, A, they're they're beautiful when they bloom. And high maintenance. Well, yes. And high maintenance. But they are beautiful when they bloom, though, Jim. And high maintenance. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where uh, quite a few people do grow their own fruit from fruit trees. Um but it's not one of those where you can just plant and forget about it. You just can't. Well, you know, they say things like, or we, they, we've always had like a spray um, like pattern. A fruit, you spray, spray, spray. Right. A fruit and, tree spray. Right. Well, when you all need to add fertilize, fertilize, fertilize mm-hmm. too with organic matter to even get it to do really well here. So spray, spray, spray. Yeah. Fertilize, fertilize, fertilize. Yeah, and I'm with you. Whether it's uh, peaches, apples, plums, pears, everything down the line, uh, you know, they are very susceptible to different types of uh, blights. They're very susceptible to different fungi, and they're very susceptible to a lot of different insects out there. And if you ever, you can get a bloom and you can get fruit, uh, but you're going to have a worm or a scab or something wrong with every fruit that you have unless you're spraying on a consistent mm-hmm. basis when it comes to fruit trees. And like you said, Veda, if you buy a just a fruit tree spray, Jim, you know this, you mix it with water and you spray and you spray starting early in the season. And then you spray, you know, when the buds start turning pink and then you spray on well, some things even during bloom for like, say, fire blight. Uh, and then typically you'll spray after bloom and then you spray periodically after it blooms. So it's one of those things where you have to know or you need to know what you're getting into I'm not saying don't plant fruit trees. I'm not saying that they're not great to have. But I'm just saying be aware that it takes a good bit of upkeep when it comes to spraying insecticides and fungicides if you want to get a yield that is pretty clean when it comes to insects and disease. There, there are a number of organic sprays that you can use, but you still need to you fertilize. You've got to spray, though. Yeah, and spray. You still need to fertilize real good. I had three peach trees planted at my house, and so I'm say, I said, I'm going to do them all organic. And I had good luck. I didn't have the trees for like seven years, so I can't say because I moved. <laughs> right. I need to go back and see what they look like now. They're probably not even there because... The person that was taking care of them constantly left, and so if you leave them on their own, it's just going to be well. And a there's struggle. so many more really good organic products on the market now, both fertilizers, insecticides, and fungicides. You know, spinosad, mm-hmm. spinosad soap. Of course, neem is a great uh, product that, that you can use that on clay. Uh, you spray what is it? Not panola. I don't think it's called panola. The like one a, where it puts like a wax on the, all the fruit and the leaves. I mean, there's a canola oil, but uh, there's something well, that's what, else. That's what neem does, basically. Yeah, yeah, which is uh, you know, whenever organic. you cover the leaf with something 
like an oil, it's difficult for um, the insects, uh, I mean the disease spores, to penetrate mm-hmm. that. So to it get, helps to get to the, the tissue. Yeah. Uh, and it does a fair job on insects if you smother them. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at most neem now, it says uh, clarified hydrophobic mm-hmm. oils of neem, right. which basically means they have taken the azuractin, which is the active insect killer, out of it. Uh, and you can buy that. Uh, it, it's marketable. Uh, I noticed that, product. and doesn't that? I want Diminish. the one that has the whole. Yeah, but uh, is that Monterey? Didn't Monterey carry one that has I'm just sure they a straight additive? Yeah. I can't say that. Azeractin. Azeractin, yeah. So, so anyway, so Audrey, you know, we, we just want to warn, but and not even a warning. I mean, we just want people to know that. That's a warning. No, that if you plant <laughs> fruit trees, uh, just be aware that it, it is, a you know, some upkeep. It's not just a plant and forget if you want to get decent yields. Mm-hmm. Uh, it surely can be done. People do it all the time. Yeah, I had uh, my hip surgeon who's worked on me more times than I care to talk about. Um, has some land out in the country, and he wanted to plant some fruit trees and grow them. So when he came into Dan West, when I worked there, you know, I explained to him that this is going to be a, a heavy spray program even before they start burying. Right. And uh, and he, you know, he was pretty adamant. He wanted to do it, you know. And about two years later, he said, "I've given up on them. I've just mm-hmm. let the deer eat them." <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? That's more work than a rose. Yeah, yeah it really it is. is. It really know, is because you got to keep that foliage clean so it can produce mm-hmm. food, or you get a weak tree, and you got to do some pruning on it to build that scaffolding. So it's um, yeah, it, that if was you, important. If you are a real diehard gardener, you know this is something you want to do. Yeah. It's doable, and yeah. you can and have good fruit. You point you pointed out a really important thing in the whole uh, growth and the whole growing of fruit trees is you have to prune yeah. yes. to get them the right shape right. to get air light through and as much as you don't want to hear it it should not produce any fruit for at least the first five years. and it's about pull them off true i know you it's, want to oh you know? i did that too jim i did it i pulled those little beautiful fruits right. off you know they need that it takes an awful lot of strength for a plant to reproduce mm-hmm. and they need that strength to build that that strong framework and the tree mm-hmm. uh, to be able to support those major crops when mm-hmm. you get them later so fruit trees. Well, I don't want to be discouraging about it. No. But I have seen some, some luck with them. Oh, and, and David, hang on two seconds. You know, I know a gentleman down in Mississippi. He's got a, a fruit orchard down there that he takes care of himself. Mm-hmm. And he absolutely loves to do it. And he really loves getting the yields off of these uh, fruit trees. And he makes his own jelly and jam and all this stuff. So, I mean, he looks at it where... Uh, he enjoys it mm-hmm. where some people, I just want, you know, for people that don't know what they're getting into, yeah. I just want them yeah. to know that it is high maintenance. Uh, it can be very rewarding. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just keep that in mind when you're. And then like Vetus loves to point out, the healthier the tree is, the better. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Larravee, who owns uh, the compost ferry, has, I believe it was a peach tree in his backyard. I saw it on when his, his garden was on tour. And it was spotless. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely spotless, mm-hmm. you know, and he does no spraying on mm-hmm. it. But, you know, it is the only one around there. Yeah. But uh, it is, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was absolutely beautiful, dark green, mm-hmm. healthy looking thing. Uh, I was kind of envious. You yeah. Know? yeah. Yeah. So I, I used the plant tone, worm castings, sprayed with the John's recipe, sod dressed with uh, soft rock phosphate, did all that numerous times. Okay, let's see. We've got time to go to David. Good morning, David. Thanks for calling. How can we help you this morning? 
Good morning, experts. How y'all doing today? Hey, Dave. Good morning to you, buddy. What about yourself? Um, I'm holding on, as they say. I'm holding on. So that's a good thing. And you're staying safe, and you're, uh, your family's doing well. Yes, sir. Yeah, Mama had one shot, and she's doing well. Just called up before I called y'all. Well, so. good deal, buddy. I was thinking about yeah, you and your mother. Yes, sir. And, and Dave, and I'm not going to tell the world that, you know, when I hear your voice, you know, the first thing that always comes to my mind is the way that you used to cut grass. And I still just always applaud you for thinking that way, because I would have never done it, to be honest with you. And I'm talking about cutting grass. Remember the old real mower yes, that you push? Yeah. That's what David used to do. That's right. Anyway, yeah, Dave, go ahead, buddy. Only reason why I don't use it now is that, that I use it so much it broke. Uh, <laughs> did you do that on purpose? Yeah, he did. Mm-hmm. No, I, didn't, actually. <laughs> I, I was sad with it did. Yeah. But anyway, um, well, the freezing cold mm-hmm. seems to have slowed my moles down, I guess. I don't know. No, um, not at all. I've had so many complaints, Dave, since the freeze and oh. the thaw that... The moles, they, they could care less. They are just yep. running rampant through yeah, some but of I'm my glad, raised Yeah, but I'm glad to hear Dave say that because that means either they've moved somewhere else, Dave, or they've gone a little deeper and they just hadn't come back up yet. But uh, no, sir, it has not affected them not one bit. Well, you know, I'm still – well, I sprayed the um, – I, I did the overkill spray. I don't think those that, that, that young lady knew what she was talking about, but I – I remember I sprayed it five times. Yeah. Straight. Uh, the um, with the castor oil. The castor oil. Yeah. But they they are still in the back. They're 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 still in the back. So I sprayed that last week. But they're no longer in the curve appeal. So I'm good with that. <laughs> right. You are getting somewhere. So yeah. maybe you can well, just let them have that spot in the back. In the back. And this uh, is and your I'm with area. You, Dave, and I'm with Dave. As long as I don't have them in the front and side yards, I can mm-hmm. almost live with them. And I always have one or two in the back running around, Dave. Uh, but you're right. Castor oil is uh, whether you buy the liquid version that you spray or the granulated version called Molmax that you put down drying water in. You know, it acts as a uh, as a repellent. And then, Dave, you know, we've talked about, you know, the poison peanuts, the poison worms uh, that you can try to bait them with. I mean, there's bagged products you can put down to kill the worms and the grubs. There's shovels. There's <laughs> yeah. pitchforks. I mean, there's just, there's so many ways that we can try to get rid of these dang moles, but none of them are what I would call 100% effective every time you use them. But I, I, I will admit, everybody out in radio land, this is where uh, better than anything else I've had. Thank you, Jim. You're welcome. And the rest of you guys. Yeah. Because they were, look, I'm bald anyway, but I wouldn't, I couldn't grow any hair. Forget about it. <laughs> but, but in any case, <laughs> my question is this. Um, when should I start spraying for weed this spring? Uh, now, now. Um, and, and when people say weeds, and I know we got to go, David, here in a second, but mostly what you're seeing out there are broadleaf weeds. Anything that's got a little leaf on it uh, is classified as a broadleaf weed. Most of these broadleaf weed killers, it needs to be above 45 degrees to work, which we're sure, surely there now. And ideally, usually no rain for 24 hours. Uh, give it a good spray and come back in about 10 days, two weeks if need be. Spray it again. And I mean, you'll kill every broadleaf weed you have. More or less. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Ready, set, go. It's weed time. Yeah. 
Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, David, for the call. We always love talking to you. Thanks, Dave. Have a good Have day. a good weekend, buddy. And I know we got Jeremy, but we got to go to a break. Oh, but when we come back, Jim, you're going to have to tell us again what your recommendation was that worked for David. Okay. <laughs> that quick. We'll be right back. Now, back to Mid-South Gardening, grown by your friends at Dan West Garden Center. For details on how you can start home growing, visit danwestonline.com. Good morning, Mid-South Gardeners, and welcome back. If y'all wonder what we talk about on the break, well, this time we talked about how we hate hanging curtain rods. <laughs> so I don't know how that helps you, but just let you know we hate that too. A potpourri of things to talk about. And then... um. Yeah, we'll take Jerry's question. Uh, yeah, let's go ahead and go to Jerry. Good morning, Jerry. You're in the garden. Good morning. Hey, Jerry. Daffodil question. Yes, sir. Uh, mine are finally, I planted them, what, too early last year mm-hmm. in October, but they, they're they up and blooming. Mm-hmm. I mean, I got 50 feet of them. Yeah. Uh, what's the best way to, what do you call it, fertilize them? I know, I think if I remember you don't cut them back till the uh, top side of them till they die down. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you're right. I mean, you 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 know they'll they'll bloom and then that foliage eventually would just naturally start to die back. And you're right, Jerry. You know you really mm-hmm. don't want to go out there and start cutting that foliage down until it starts to naturally die back because that's when the bulb is storing those carbohydrates for the next year's bloom. But even then, you can go out there and feed them with uh, bulb food, bulb tone, you know, one mm-hmm. of those type products. Uh, and I would try to feed them at least once a year. Uh, and whether you do it spring, summer, or fall, it really doesn't matter. Right. Yeah, uh, we as had long a, as you're doing it yearly. We had a big hill of daffodils that were never, never fertilized, but they were in a woodsy, naturalized area. So they got the leaves that fell on them, just all of that. So in my mind, I thought you never have to fertilize daffodils. Mm-hmm. But if you're putting them in a yard that doesn't get all that natural stuff happening, but then daffodils are just so hardy. Yeah. What do you think, Jim? Well, you... I have found the best way to fertilize them is with a, a spray water-soluble like miracle Grow, as mm-hmm. much as I hate it, <laughs> uh, something me. like that, because... <laughs> When you throw it a bulb food down on top of the ground, that bulb is down, you know, mm-hmm. four or five inches. Yeah. It's difficult for that plant to get that, particularly if it's planting their hard clay soil. Mm-hmm. Bacteria and weeds and everything else on top of the ground tend to get the bulk of it. But if you spray it with a liquid, it runs down and into the bulb itself mm-hmm. where it's more readily available to the plant. Mm-hmm. And I've had good luck doing that. Uh, you know, I love the bulb that foods idea. are great when you're planting them, mm-hmm. you know. Put it a little deeper than the bulb. Unless the uh, bulbs were in a loose bed. Yeah, you know, you know if it's something yeah. shallow to yeah. the minor bulbs, mm-hmm. you know, just throw it on top of the ground. It, they'll be fine. Yeah, because, you know, like, what, uh, oh, go ahead. What about, um, i got a lawn service, you know, crazy yard. What about the fertilizer they use? That's fine. Yeah, and, you know, they're putting a lot, a lot of fertilizer down, so that's fine. And usually it's a, that it's way a, he can just go ahead and just spray that area. He can spray right over it. Just make sure he doesn't do that with a weed killer. <laughs> yeah, well, I've told him that. But anyway, that's what I need. 
Well, all right. Thanks, thanks Jerry. For thanks up for that question. This morning. Yes. Thanks, Jerry. Well, you know, the bulbs, they have, there's the bulb, and then a lot of people don't see this, but then there's the, all the little roots that come off the bottom of the bulb. Yeah, the basal plate is where you, that fertilizer needs to get. Right. There. And so that was my thought, too, was how would a fertilizer get through? Because your first, your bulb's down six inches, maybe four inches. And how would that fertilizer get all the way through there into the, the root hairs? Um, unless your soil was all good. That's what I'm saying, yeah. If and it's so already the in a prepared bed and it's is perfect. Right. And, and you get yeah. that. You know, most of the, the fertilizer is sprayed onto a carrier, so when water mm-hmm. hits it, it actually gets into the water. But, you know, how can you get enough right there where it's going to run down the stem? And so I've mm-hmm. I've had pretty good luck just spray feeding them. Yeah, now, because, you know, we said, talk... a lot of times... I don't do anything. I know. They look gorgeous. Right. <laughs> there's that. And well, you know, like we say that if you spray the foliage with liquid fertilizer, that it's really, it's not absorbing through the foliage, but it's running down into the soil right. and feeding the soil. And so when we're putting this around, you're putting it real, the liquid real close to the, the, bulb the green, mm-hmm. yeah, to the bulb itself so it can get down into the soil because it can leach much farther than a granule. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So daffodils, and I'm seeing them come up everywhere yeah, as well. Oh, yeah. hey, we, we, I sold some daffodils uh, just the other day. We still have some daffodils in, in packages. I think it's 20 bulbs per package, you know, for mm-hmm. whatever. They're like half price. And the lady said, well, can I go ahead and plant them? I said, absolutely you can. Mm-hmm. I said, you might even still get bloomed this year, believe it or not. And if not, of course, you'll get the bloom the next year. So the beauty of daffodils is, you know, you can plant them almost anywhere they, they're you know the the varmints don't get to them uh mm-hmm. for say the voles and kind of and they multiply you know yeah. so oh, yeah there uh, is a daffodil society in memphis oh, right yeah, absolutely. Very active one mm-hmm. yeah oh yeah, my goodness because most of so it shows many. over dixon i think oh yeah that was amazing when i found out there was a daffodil society oh, because yeah. they always grew so native so i thought what could you possibly talk about but then I saw all the varieties. And then and, uh, when we get yeah. back from the break, Veda, uh, Wendy Johnson texted in and said, do you spray hydrangeas for a leaf spot or just avoid overhead watering and let it run its course? That's one. And then uh, Jan Childers, uh, she said, uh, we're being inundated by little ants in our kitchen. Help. Well, Jan, you need to go get the uncles and tell the little ants to go home. And these were all texted <laughs> in. Then I got one more from... I think uh, we're going to need to take a break. <laughs> well, hold on. And I got one more from Pat. Uh, and it says, uh, what can I do to, to revive Chinese fringe flower? Uh, lower petalum that have dam- been damaged mm-hmm. to all the foliage. And from the cold weather. That's kind of what we talked about this morning. So we'll go over the uh, the text from Pat and the one from Wendy and also the one from Jan. Oh, and Jim, again, real quick, because listen to David's conversation about the, he said, oh, Jim, what you said worked really well for the mm-hmm. moles. And, and that, to, was tell, the, that was a castor bean yeah. oil. But and, the difference know. was one person had said spray every week, right? Well, spray it five times. He was spraying it like every other day. Yeah. So, no, you didn't have to do that. So, Jim I, told Dave About to, every four weeks. Yeah, if you get a lot of rain, about every six weeks. Right. If you got elevated beds, I'd probably do four weeks. And uh, we'll be right back. garden help you need from three of the top experts in the mid-south grown by your friends at dan west garden center 
For details on how you can start home growing, visit danwestonline.com. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990 with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, Memphis Gardeners. Well, Mid-South Gardeners, because yeah. we're hearing from all around. Well, how about good morning, Nationwide Pete? That's what I was going to say. How about good morning, Nationwide Gardeners? Mm-hmm. Thank you for your for listening and sending in questions from all over. One thing, a last thing about moles, and I won't talk about it again. Oh, I we need remember? to talk about moles every weekend. This is true. I told Dave you'd need a shovel and a pitchfork. Mm-hmm. Now, add to your arsenal, I've found out, and I know Kenneth will have to comment now. You need a butcher knife. Yeah. Butcher Y'all, knives true, work well. I'll tell you a true story. And this is, I was at the garden center one day, and this guy pulled up uh, and basically ran over the car bumper to get in there. And you know how you can look at somebody, you can see their eyes spinning, their hair's all frayed up, and they're just, they're deranged, okay? I'm like, what's this guy doing? And he gets out of his car, runs around to the back uh, on the other side of the car, reaches in there and picks up a mold that's got a butcher knife through it. And I said, what in the world have you done? And he said, man, I'm telling you, I was out there drinking my coffee. And he does it because he's looking for the mold tunnels mm-hmm. to move. And that son gun dove on there and stabbed one of these things. <laughs> and it was like Tarzan all over again, y'all. And I laugh. I mean, I, and to this day, I, I'm still laughing about it. But my point is, there are other ways to get rid of moles. Uh, you don't have to resort to, uh, you know, diving on the tunnel with a butcher knife. Now, at the very least, I'm with Veda. You know, you can do it with a shovel or you can do it with a pitchfork. It might be a little safer. But, it, you know, when it comes to moles, man, it just runs people crazy. And we'll do drastic things to to get rid of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that story has always stuck in my mind, y'all. And, I mean, it, it, part of the story is you, y'all can't see the face that I saw. You know, with the eyes right. spinning and yeah. the hairs all frayed out <laughs> and, and just gone crazy, okay? So people will do crazy things to get rid of moles is all I'm saying. Happy camper. Heck yeah. Okay, we've got a lot of Facebook questions. Yeah, uh, Jan uh, texted in and said they've got ants, little ants in the kitchen, uh, what to do. Uh, And the good thing is ants in the kitchen are usually not like a fire ant or one of those ants that love to live outside and make the big mounds. These are usually the little black sugar ants that get in there. Um, a couple of things. You can get a insecticide, usually a permethrin, that you can use indoors. You can buy them ready to use, ready to spray, or you can even buy concentrates that you mix yourself. But typically, you'll spray around the baseboards, around the window frames, up under the sink. And this stuff is good, it's safe, and it will kill ants. Another product, y'all, that's been around since probably the 30s is the old tarot ant killer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you can buy the little jar. It looks like a little bottle of syrup in there. Mm-hmm. You just put it on a piece of little cardboard that comes with the package, believe it or not, and it attracts them uh, as a bait. They eat it, and it, it really gets rid of mm-hmm. little It does a good ants. job at killing them, but why would you want to bring them into the house? That's, I why know. Why them? Why do I want to watch them all circle around that little blue thing? Because too? you know they're going to eat, take a bite of that, and you know That's it's going true. to kill them. My so. favorite's diatomaceous earth for, for ants, and I've put it all in the kitchen floor and then swept it under the baseboards, mm-hmm. and it just created a barrier that they did not want to cross. I've even taken it and swept it into carpet and mm. it's worked on fleas as mm. well but the fleas had to be active because you know fleas can stay dormant in your carpet for years 
until that perfect temperature environment hits. You might not even have a pet, but if you'd moved into a place that had a pet with fleas before, they can still be dormant. So anyway, diatomaceous earth, Mm -hmm. which is really just like a white powder, uh, taro ant killer, and then some of the the per. The methrin product. And consider a perimeter spray on the outside so that you Mm, try to limit where they can come in. Particularly look for your weep holes in the bricks uh, around pipes, spigots, Mm. anything like that. Your dryer vent Mm. uh, spray on the outside of the house and hopefully, you know, and and when you spray a barrier, it should be three to five feet wide. Right. And just walk around, spray the brick and the house. Right. And uh, and that will help deter them from coming in. And I'm going to tell you, and the product that I would use as an outside spray, gym is an outside barrier is Delta Methrin. Uh, it's a great product. Uh, it's very safe to use, but it's got a really long residual. But it is a, I'm telling you, it's probably one of, it's one of the better products I, I know of to just kill ants. Well, on the diatomaceous part, you don't want to overuse it. And I do have to say, when I used it in the house and did all that work, I had to go back and dust. Because mm-hmm. it's a, kind of a light powder too, yeah, so I, I, I had to dust. Like to sweep it. What I would I do is is if you put a little um, waffle syrup, just a drop or something, as an attractant on aluminum foil, a big mm-hmm. piece like twelve, fifteen inches mm-hmm. wide. Sprinkle a diatomaceous earth on it and just slide it up underneath your refrigerator. Uh, and it does a real good job of the, as they walk through the diatomaceous earth it to get to them. the mm-hmm. the little drop of maple syrup. Yep. I like all these little <laughs> secrets. <laughs> Will somebody? Thirty or forty years from now, go be telling us that was just a myth. <laughs> you know, like we've done. Uh, no, then, I don't think so, though, because no. we have so much more opportunity for education on all this. So no, these are it's not a myth. Okay. So, Jan, hope that'll help you, buddy. Uh, Delta methrin, permethrin, diatomaceous earth, and then uh, the baits like the uh, and there are other baits on the market now. We've we've got other baits other than taro, but taro is just yeah. the one that sticks in sticks my mind because it's yeah. been around mm-hmm. so long. Uh, Wendy Johnson takes it in, and of course, we've all been through this, guys, if you have hydrangeas. Some years, a lot worse than others. The old leaf spot mm-hmm. that we see on the foliage. And she was saying that, uh, you know, should we, over, should we avoid overhead irrigation on hydrangeas? In other words, should we try to keep the irrigation off the foliage of hydrangeas, uh, and or do we spray or do we just live with it? Live with that. Well, but there it, are think, some preventatives. Right. There are a couple of things. One, if you've had a history of it, that tells you that the plant is in a location where it's unsuitable or it's suitable for the fungus, which may mean there's no air movement in there and it's not mm-hmm. drying quickly. If you have irrigation, run it in the morning. Mm-hmm. So we want that foliage to dry before nightfall. So, you know, at three o'clock is about the cutoff mm-hmm. date, otherwise time or you won't get it to dry before nightfall if it's a, just a few spots you're getting you know don't do anything just yeah. live with it it's or not pick that them bad off. You yeah, can and, pick and, them and, off. but why yeah. some years you know not uh last year but year before last i think every hydrangea in memphis was inundated with leaf spots it was I mean, like the environment was perfect <laughs> right. for it yeah um, and, but remember when you spray if you decide to take the thing and spray it to keep them clean right. it works best as a preventative and don't forget to spray all the ground underneath mm. the plant and slightly outside of it and are you spraying uh chlorothalonil like daconil or are you spraying liquid copper or i you... like my my personal favorite is propiconazole okay because it's systemic it's going to mm-hmm. give you probably four weeks control and that's under the name of fertilome liquid yeah. systemic fungicide right 
but do spray the ground, everything around it, because you've got those spores there on the ground, and when it rains, it splashes back up. So it's important mm-hmm. to spray that down there. And we're also. talking about the leaf spots on the hydrangeas. And if you do yeah. see leaf spots on hydrangeas and you start spraying at mm-hmm. that time, it's not going to clear up what's already there. Right. Like you said, you're spraying more as a preventative than anything. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, one of the things that seemed to help real well and Jim will be kind of like, eh, maybe, maybe not. Was like when you're using your soil soup or your organic products that have the microorganisms and all, if you spray it, I've heard or studied that if you spray it on the leaf, you're also spraying beneficial fungus. That's true. And that will uh, a lot of times help yeah, outweigh. I know. Yeah, it made me lose my moon. whole train of thought when you said that. <laughs> I stopped her. Plan <laughs> ah, worked. Right, exactly. <laughs> what was that? Um, but, you know, you put more beneficial fungi on the negative fungus so they can, you know, like I was saying, maybe we don't have enough predators. And so that, that you know, it's all, when you're using organics, it's a lot of these little extra things that help. But for me, I just did my whole yard with compost, plant tone, or holly tone, and sprayed everything with the liquid fertilizer and did that a, a lot. And then if I had some issues, I was able to use an organic because they were smaller issues. Yeah, and When then, they're larger issues, you do have to go. And I know we got to go to a yeah. break, but then even Bonite has a product called Revitalize, which is yeah. a biofungicide. Mm-hmm. Uh, it triggers the plant uh, immune system. Uh, to fight off disease naturally. So uh, Revitalize is another mm-hmm. really good product to use if, if you want to yeah. go the organic side. Excellent. We'll be right back. Now, back to Mid-South Gardening, grown by your friends at Dan West Garden Center. For details on how you can start home growing, visit danwestonline.com. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Uh, real quick, what the question was, what type of fungicide did you just recommend? Yeah, we were talking about the leaf spots on the hydrangeas that Wendy had texted in, mm-hmm. uh, and she wanted to know what was the product again. It's called Fertilome Liquid Systemic Fungicide, Wendy. It's one of those products that uh, you can buy concentrated and mix it yourself. You can buy one that's ready to spray that you just hook to your hose uh, and start spraying, but um, that's the one, Jim, that's got the propagolazole, uh, and uh, it does a really good job on mm-hmm controlling that leaf spot that we see on the hydrangeas. So, Wendy, hope that'll help you. And then uh, we touched a little bit on the lower petalums and how damaged they are yeah, right now. Uh, Pat, uh, and Mr. Paul, hang on one second. Pat had texted in and wanted to know what do we do about the lower petalum, you know, um, and the foliage. And, of course, every lower petalum out there, you know, the plant that has usually the purple leaves on it and the pink bloom in the spring, the leaves are fried. I mean, they are absolutely fried. And we know that every one of those leaves are going to fall off. Uh, and looking at it, you're thinking, oh, my man, this thing is dead as a hammer, right? Well, no. I mean, they they look horrible, but like Jim was saying this morning, all the lower petalum that he scratched, they're still green up under yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Not saying we won't have some tip burn, don't get me wrong, but for the most part, they're going to flush back out. And what we were saying in the, probably the first 15 minutes of the show is I would go out there on these plants and go ahead and feed them. Uh, and whether you're using a uh, really or good organic fertilizer, holly-tone, plant-tone, milorganite, one of those type products, and are the grower special, uh, the 1266, uh, you know, go ahead and start feeding these plants to have that nutrient value there when that plant needs it to flush out. Because think about it, guys, they're not pushing out just new mm-hmm. growth. 
They're replacing all of the growth. Yeah. So they might need a little extra energy to get out there and do that. You know, traditionally, we see them start to bloom right now. Yeah, the blooms, starts. I think, are going. <laughs> because it looks much. like the plant's gone. Yeah. So that is one thing that we're missing for our spring, beginning of the spring, is the beautiful blooms on the lower petalum. But right now, we're just trying to make them live. Yeah, and, <laughs> and soil temperature is getting up very rapidly. Um, this week, I checked, it was... 54 degrees in our regular soil and then uh-huh. elevated beds it was up to 57 wow so it's it's coming up rather quickly so you know at 60 i start thinking you're getting some fairly decent benefit out of your fertilizer yeah, yeah so right. we're rapidly approaching that so that's that's one good thing about organic fertilizer you can put it down and it'll still be there yes and when the mm-hmm. soil temperature gets proper and then the plant can utilize it instantly instead of waiting for you to fertilize you can put that organic fertilizer down now, and then when the temperature goes up, you can do something else besides running out and fertilizing, which also brings me to the fact that y'all should start getting your supplies now. Because when you're ready to garden, the last thing you want to do is run at the garden center. You use half of your day purchasing stuff. So maybe throughout And as time, a retailer, is that really a good thing to say that, on the air? Yeah, because <laughs> I'm trying to get them to come in in the week because everybody's there on Saturday. <laughs> so come in in the week and uh, get like your little organic fertilizers, your insecticides, fungicides, even your plants. And I know you got to sneak back up there on a Saturday, oh, but... Yeah. And um, bulb shelf life. What if I haven't planted bulbs in two years hey mr paul hang on one more second we did have one more text from rebecca maddox uh she found a bag of bulbs uh, in a garage and wanted to know if it was still okay to plant them and the answer is maybe maybe not and what i mean by that is you can plant any bulb if it's still viable if it's not hadn't frozen because you know freezing temperatures will flat out kill a bulb but if they're still firm and fleshy and and you know, not mushy and dried you up. You can't crunch yeah. them and you crumble them. You can definitely them. get these bulbs uh, in the ground. Like I said, I you know, sold some daffodil bulbs yesterday to a customer. Typically, we sell them around Thanksgiving. That's when people are planting them. Not to say that you can't plant them now, right? But as long as the bulb is still alive and viable, uh, you can get them in the ground, not a problem. Mr. Paul, Mr. Paul, good morning, and thanks for the call, Mr. Paul. <laughs> Good morning, Jesus. Beta, Kenneth, and Jim. How y'all doing? We're doing Good. great, Mr. Paul, and I'm going to say it, and I'm going to call you out every time. <laughs> if I don't hear from you in a week or so, Mr. Paul, it's just something's not right, I'm telling you. So it's, it's a blessing to hear from you this morning is all I'm saying. Well, glad to hear it. Uh, Miss Kim had to call me, I think, last week and check to see if I was all right, but I appreciate People calling and checking uh, Jamie and Jan do that same thing. Mm-hmm. But I, I, just, I always listen. Sometimes I just I can't pull that trigger and call because y'all seem to be, uh, y'all don't seem like you need any help. <laughs> well, uh, tell me about Johnny Appleseedum. Mm. Well, let me. <laughs> that, that that moniker got put on me about twenty years ago, probably. I think I was. Uh, I was, I don't know, and I wasn't president of the Hort Society, but June Davidson wrote, uh, I mean, Chris Gang wrote an article in Commercial Appeal mm-hmm. about one of our horticulture meetings. I believe it may have been, uh, uh, I don't remember what it was about, but anyway, they were, it was featuring sedum and hardy succulents. And June Davidson gave me that name. 
<laughs> of Johnny Appleseed him because he said that used to, if you come over here to shop, if you didn't buy anything before you left, that she, he said that I would just give you something, give you a sedum. You need to take this home and plant it, you know, because it's a good plant. Oh, that's great. it is. Well, you well, are. I, I hear you got a a nice article in in Cultivate magazine from UT though. Also, fantastic. There, there is. There's a real nice article. Margot uh, Emery, mm-hmm. young lady from up there, called me back in the summer and said they were doing uh, wanted to do an article, and so I was glad to to accommodate them and it was a very nice article in the cultivate the cultivate magazine for the university of tennessee and what was the article about mr paul it's about mr paul well, oh about mr paul okay <laughs> yeah it was it was basically just about uh you know what we've what we've done a little bit about uh some of the plants that we've developed mm-hmm. at the nursery and also just uh it was just a short article but it's it's called Legends mm-hmm. of Tennessee, mm-hmm. and I think they use that word legends yeah. to keep from saying old people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's what that is. Yeah, well, well, Mr. Legend, is. Uh, what about the sedums out there with this cold weather that we had? Well, mine are all hunk, still hunkered down. They're starting to come out, but everything's, everything's looking good, I think. I lost a few things that mm-hmm. were borderline. Yeah. You know, some of the sedum that we try to grow that are kind of borderline, I think they may not yeah. come back out, but everything else looks fine. And, Kenneth, I wanted to ask you, uh, did you all get stuff in from David yesterday? We did. Uh, and, David, did, uh, you're talking about the guy, uh, Paul, that people that don't know, he uh, has a company uh, called Minus Vinus. And that's where right. we get a lot of our ground covers from. And, of course, he comes up from Alabama. But, yes, sir, we did get a, a shipment from David uh day before yesterday. Did you get sedum? Uh, I, yes, we've got some sedums out there also. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, I know that he he has See, I had somebody the other day looking for some of Kay's Little Joy. And I don't have, mine is not out of the ground yet. And I knew that David had some probably, and I don't know if he, you got it. I mean, if he uh, delivered you any or not. Yeah, I mean, I know we've got some sedums out there, Mr. Paul. They can surely drive by and take a look or give us a call and we'll let them know. But uh, as you know, there's so many different sedums on the market. But Kay's Little right. Joy is uh, it's one of those beautiful mm-hmm. sedums that's named after somebody that we know. I think it's Mr. Right. Paul's wife. Yeah. Did, yes. you, did you see the uh, picture I posted of that little tiny blue sedum this week? I don't know. I don't think I did. Jim. Okay. All right. I was wanting to get an ID from you. It, it is so short. It's blue. And I tell you, if I could have a lawn of that, it would be absolutely spectacular. It, it's not the Turkish, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. Mm-mm. Anyway, go back. I, I, I posted it, uh, I think, day before yesterday, and like 20 photos, and there's one in there that it's okay, just... Okay, well, I'll, I'll go back and look at it because I didn't see it, but I uh, I don't know. There's, you know, there, there's, I, whenever I go through some of those photos, I see stuff that I had never seen before. Yeah. So somebody out there's got some sedum that we don't have, and I'm envious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got this one at, at, at uh, Dan West, and it was, I mean, just a little tiny sprig, and I got it for closeout. Yeah, but it turned out to be a beautiful little seal.
Now, back to Mid-South Gardening, grown by your friends at Dan West Garden Center. For details on how you can start home growing, visit danwestonline.com. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to In the Garden. And we do really appreciate the support of Dan West being a part of this program. And I think Palladios is going to be coming on before too long. Yeah, Yeah, long time uh, in this business, what, 60, 70 years or something, you know. Uh, When I was a little one, we shopped at the one in Raleigh, Uh Dan West in Raleigh. Yeah, we appreciate Dan West being a sponsor Mm -hmm. also. And we also appreciate Jan and Wendy and Pat and Rebecca and everybody else for sending us texts with all the great questions. And, of course, the callers. And if you want to give us a call, it's pretty easy. 260. 260- 5926. Is that right? 260-5926. I forgot the number there for a second. Well, I interrupted. I wanted to talk real quick about, okay, the Fiddle Leaf Fig Houseplant. We love, love, love it. And it's in every, every commercial. And they're so picky. And every magazine you open, you see Fiddle Leaf Figs. And I want to grow one so badly. But this one uh, lady came in and... She said, we were, she was asking about houseplants and how can I grow this? And she goes, well, I have a fiddle leaf fig that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I was like, if you can grow that, <laughs> you can grow any houseplant. I said, what do you do? She goes, well, first it's called Miss Fig. And it has to have a name, she said. And the other thing is, is <laughs> I shake it every once in a while. And I was like, why do you shake it? You know, she says not violently, but for some reason, I just feel like it needs okay. that. Let so me tell you this. I've, and I I've knew heard of it. That. Please Let me tell, tell you me. This. There was a lady in England who had, she was very wealthy, Mm -hmm. and she had a person in her employment that all he did was go around and Mm -hmm. shake her plants. And she said it helped them grow better. Mm -hmm. So they actually did research to see if any of that is true, and it actually does help your plants. And it's best if you do it between between 10 and 12 during the day. (laughs) A.M. So what would be the theory and the... What what would be behind that? Disturbance I mean, and makes them grow better? I mean, but because, let me say this, because mm-hmm. you know how wind naturally moves mm-hmm. on tree limbs and so forth? So it builds rigidity. It makes mm-hmm. them stronger is what it does. Now, I'm wondering yeah. if this does the same thing <laughs> to houseplants, to, to go out there and yeah. start shaking your houseplants. I mean, they said because, I mean, it, it does. You know, you never, yeah. when you buy a tree, a lot of times a tree is staked. Yeah, well, you never, ever the... want to leave a tree staked right, forever, right. okay? You want to get that stake off as soon as you can. And that's what they're saying, that the just the wind and the natural mm-hmm. movement of these uh, trees and shrubs, that's what makes them stronger. They build roots, too, more roots to take from So that's that. funny, but I've never heard of anybody going in there and actually yeah. shaking their houseplants. Mm-hmm. There was also, um, we always have trouble, like you get a tree, a ficus tree, and... Um, drops its leaves immediately. Well, and let me say this, Veda, that when people think of ficus, like me, I always think of the smaller-leaved mm-hmm. ficus tree, the ficus benjamin. Yeah, benjamin. Yeah, and, um, <laughs> and, and those things are, can be so finicky. I mean, you can look mm-hmm. at the thing wrong or walk by it and, uh, you know, move it from one spot to another, and they'll start dropping every leaf they have. Well, they, and they and it's the light situation. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's so many different It's trying factors. to fix what you just did to it. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. the... The fiddle leaf fig, which is the mm-hmm. ficus, uh, another type of ficus, that has the much bigger leaf on it, um, and to me, just as attractive, they're, to me, not near as finicky mm-hmm. as the old, uh, old-fashioned old ficus tree. So right. uh, well, it's, a, it's a hot tree, let me put it that way if, right now. If you're trying to, because th- there are a lot of houseplants that will grow in darker conditions, but say if you're buying a houseplant for darker conditions, and it, it's in our garden center, but it's in a lighter condition, right. 
It's recommended to take it home and start it in the lighter condition and then work it to the darker because if you're taking it from light to dark, they start shedding leaves so they can put on leaves that are acclimated to that light. So that may even that sounds very difficult to do because I want to set my plants up right where they go immediately. But that that could help a lot of times is acclimating them. Yeah, Even and, from dark to bright, a lot of times they'll drop and yeah, shed. And, and, and if not, you know, usually they'll they will acclimate to where you put them, but they might have drop a few leaves. You know, and there are a number number of growers in in Florida that do shade grown tropicals versus mm-hmm. sun grown for indoor stuff. They're twice as high because it takes mm-hmm. so much longer for them to get size on them. But they're beautiful plants. You can put them right into your home. And they're they see no suffering whatsoever, but you know you can really expect to pay for those. Yeah, yeah, because we've got pothos ivy that's twelve feet tall on a pole. Wow, ten feet tall. It's twelve feet when we put it in that big count uh, container. We even have a house plant that's thousand dollars. Yeah, it's the raphius, um, the palm. Palm, yeah, yeah, and because takes so long to grow, mm-hmm. and they're great. For indoors, yeah, too. it's a really good low light palm, yeah. but it is because it's so slow. It's very mm-hmm. expensive. it's kind of like the old English boxwood. People ask all the time, you know, why are boxwoods so expensive? Mm-hmm. Not all of them are. The hybrids can be, you know, uh, a good bit uh, cheaper. But the old fashioned English boxwood that grow really slow, you know, you mm-hmm. find a decent sized boxwood that thing's been growing for a long time to get yeah. to that so size. For- I mean, Sephruticosa is really slow. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like a blazing rate of a half inch a year. Yeah, <laughs> that is blazing. That is. Um, also on houseplants, it's recommended to turn them a quarter of a turn in the same direction every time you water. Yeah. And, you know, that's so it doesn't lean this way and that way. And we always think it's growing to the sun, but Jim has researched this, and it's so bizarre. It's growing away from the it's sun. It's actually growing away. Now, what that mm-hmm. means is the hormones that stimulate growth don't like the sunlight, and the plant doesn't like to have sun hit its stem. So those hormones move around to the backside of the crazy? stem, mm-hmm. which causes those cells to elongate, which bends the plant towards the, the window, mm-hmm. which is good because it gets more sunlight, but it also is primarily a self-defense mechanism to protect that stem. It's a wonder any of our plants live, you know, I because know. we just work them over. <laughs> That's why we've all made fairly decent living yes. in this business. Right. Good people kill them. <laughs> we keep trying and trying. All right, we've got a few minutes. We need to get our community news. So good morning, Miss Gloria. What's going on in the community? Good morning, Kenneth, Jim, and Veda. How are you? We're great. Uh, the ice has melted and the snow is gone and the sun has been out, so we're doing great, Miss mm-hmm. Gloria. That's great. What's going on this morning? Well, I have a lot of plant sales to tell you about. Okay. Okay, the first one is spring fling plant sale. Okay, starting... On the 15th of this month, you can view some of the items for sale that are going to be at the the sale, which is going to be online, mm-hmm. okay? <clears throat> Everything you buy must be paid for by a credit card. Gotcha. Okay? The actual sale does not start until the 24th. Mm-hmm. 
You can't buy anything before the 24th. But you can get online and start peeking around, you said. Yeah, you can get online yeah. and start peeking around. Okay. And and that'll be March 24th from noon through March 31st mm-hmm. at 5 p.m. online. Got it. Okay, and I have two websites, so if one, if one goes out on you, Mm-hmm. You'll you'll have a backup. Okay. Okay. You got your pen ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. It's M A M G Online Sales dot com. Now you That's and, one I, more and I hate stuff. to break in, but you said M A M G Online Sale S A L E dot com, right? Sale. Got it. Okay. Or you can go to Memphis Area Master Gardeners dot org. Mm-hmm. Okay. Got it. Yes, ma'am. And the other thing I have I have Memphis Botanic Garden is having spring blooms at the garden starting March twentieth through April seventeenth. And you can explore what's blooming at the garden. And it's free with garden admission. And that's March 20th through April the 17th. Right. Okay. And this would be a great time for you to go and see Daffodil Hill. Gotcha. Yes, I agree. Yes. Okay. Mumford is not having their lawn and garden show, you know, that they usually have at the high school. Yes, ma'am. That's canceled. Okay. Fayette Cares plant sale in Oakland mm-hmm. will be online April. It's it's good. The sale's going to be April seventeenth from nine to two. But I have two different addresses as far as where it's going to be. Yeah. So I'm going to check with my, all my friends from Oakland and find out what what's happening. Yeah, just let and us I'll know like because you. Know you s- about that next week. Yes, ma'am, and that's coming up on April the 17th, though. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they're going to have annuals, pre-annuals, um, vegetables, hanging baskets, and shrubs. Got it. Okay. Now, Ligerman's plant sale is going to be online, or you can go on-site shop by appointment. Okay, and it's going to be from April 16th to May 29th, and the plant list is on their website, mm-hmm. which is Memphis Museums dot org. Dot org. Okay. Okay, and their telephone number. I I think this is the telephone number you're supposed to call. Is six three six. Two two one one, and they can give you more information about um, the sale. That if if you have any questions, mm-hmm. fantastic. Thank you so much, Miss Gloria. Man, I tell you what, she uh, she keeps us going uh, with all the information and the phone numbers. And thank you so much, Miss Gloria. Now, back to Mid-South Gardening, grown by your friends at Dan West Garden Center. For details on how you can start home growing, visit danwestonline.com. 
Good morning. Welcome back. Welcome back. Appreciate all our early bird callers this morning. And, and the text. And the text. And let's go to Dwight. Good morning, Dwight. Good morning. Hey, Dwight. Appreciate uh, you hanging on, buddy. That's all right. Uh, my daughter-in-law had uh, seen and admired a, a Nandina that I had with that had uh, several bunches of uh, berries on it. Mm-hmm. And I guess she was going to uh, research it to see about getting some herself. And she found out that they're very poisonous to birds. And, well, uh, that's not totally true. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. What happens is there are a few birds like cedar waxwings that are binge feeders. Mm-hmm. They'll eat so many of them that they'll stuff themselves. And what happens is seeds, just like apple seed, if it will convert to hydrogen cyanide and poison them. regular birds feed on them all the time they eat one or two berries that has no harm to them whatsoever and if you plant 50 of them then you have something that will attract those birds Mm -hmm. but i would not hesitate to plant one in my yard you will not have a mass bird kill it's just you know i see mockingbirds eating them all the time yeah, yeah right it's only things like cedar wax wings that will stuff themselves and they don't like them they'll eat every other berry in your place first but if they can't find any food then sometimes they eat themselves to death and i feel like i've done that a number of times <laughs> i was thinking <laughs> so well, dwight right. so I mean, yeah no no bit no big deal and like jim said don't not plant one because of that reason you know I've got it. I just won't. I won't cut them off. <laughs> there you yeah. go. Yeah. yeah, and you know, and there, and if she's really even worried about that, there are a number of ones that don't bury. So you know, you can okay. get. Then they're beautiful well, foliage. Thank great. Right. Thanks for the great question. Thanks, Thanks Dwight. Dwight. Appreciate it, buddy. Our, my mother had one Nandina or a couple Nandinas in a small patio, and every spring the bees would just go crazy on the blooms. And so she would cover and do all kinds of things because they would uh, it, they would just devastate them so much that they wouldn't even bloom. Yeah, the I mean, next year. But you're right. Am but I you know, bees. Or am I thinking? It used to when yeah. people would come in, Veda, and they say, Jim, you know, what shrub do you recommend to put in this area? And if you ever used the word Nandina, you had to step back because you were fixing to get slapped, (laughs) you know? right. Uh, Because back then it was just the old-fashioned Nandina domestica. You know, the Mm -hmm. thing got six foot tall, four foot wide, berries all over it. There's nothing wrong with it. Mm -hmm. Roots sprouted. Yeah. They they came up like bamboo, you know? Digging them out. Digging them out. But there are so many other varieties of Nandina on the market now. And I'm telling you, some of them look absolutely great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love some of these new hybrids that are out there. So, But we're going, when are, you're going for the berries, is this a compact Nandina berry? I've the, never seen it. Berry. I know. We can't, what else can we get those amazing berries with besides a regular domestic Nandina? Well, I know there's some other ones. There are even some dwarfs one that do mm-hmm. berry. Now, if, you, if you're really looking for berries, then old-fashioned Nandina domestica That's is the all. way to go. But yeah. uh, there, there are some pretty Nandinas. Now, let me say this yeah. also. Harbor like, Bell, you know, which is a very dwarf one. Mm-hmm. It does berry, right. but Harbor Dwarf That's does right. not. Right. Harbor Bell. Okay, Harbor Bell. Find and they, that and one. they took a beating this winter, when I say as far as the foliage. Uh, I mean, of course, they're going to be fine because they're Nandinas, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you go out there and look at them, most of the foliage was not completely off mm-hmm. Nandina. So yes. just another one of those shrubs that are going to have to flush back out this spring. I know it. Okay, another shrub that I'm loving 
This is my new love shrub. Box. Uh, I have to look at the name on Box honeysuckle. Thank you. Box <laughs> honeysuckle, which does not look like what you think it would look like. Yeah. But it's if you want kind of a native looking, a formal native looking, really, um, it's a beautiful hedge also. We've gotten some in, but they're just tiny right now. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to visualize what they look like when they're gone, grown. <laughs> <laughs> I could love to visualize what they look like when they're gone. All right, so that but, means I sold them. But why would someone plant a box honeysuckle? Oh, just so you could plant that because it would be maybe more hardy, mm-hmm. um, less issues with, say, uh, if you had the Indian hawthorn, right. you know how it can get that blight on it. And what about a bloom? Or, leaf blight. Well, just it, pretty Talked about there's one called Baggerson's Gold that has golden foliage. It's a mm-hmm. and where I've seen it used to to really advantage is with water features. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it kind of weeps over, has a golden foliage, and it's just it's beautiful. Yeah, you know, it's evergreen. Uh-huh. Unless we get like winter like we had here, right. it yeah. can burn the foliage off. That of it. may be the one we have. I yeah, just... it's it's a really pretty one. Well, and let me let me say this: keep uh, tuned in, uh, especially next weekend. We got so much stuff that we're going to care up talk about, y'all. Um, yellow leaves on Pachysandra, because people have called me about that. Uh, how to prepare the soil for raised beds? Even if you have existing raised beds, what do we need to do to our soil mm-hmm. to get ready to replant? Uh, I've got boxwood mites and leaf miners, just something to think about. And I also want to talk about the difference between sun patients and New mm-hmm. Guinea impatients, you know? Right. Yeah, all these are, um, I wanted to talk about native plants, landscape of shade bed, and deer-resistant plants. Mm-hmm. But we... We're here to talk about what you right, want to talk right, about primarily. Right, I was say. So. But, you know, we'll touch on that next week. Mm-hmm. And uh, it has been so fantastic, all of y'all getting up early with us and giving us calls. I like all the different calls, you know, the different questions, because they've been really, really good. And just remember, you know, the frost date is April 15th. Or, you know, if you put anything tender in the ground, which people do, mm-hmm. soil temperatures start to rise up, I mean, people will go ahead and start planting. But if you put uh, tender things in the ground before April 15th, just be prepared to either A, replant, or be sure to protect them if we do get some more cold weather. And I was talking to a customer yesterday, and their question was, Kenny, do you think we're going to have any more cold weather? And I'm like, are you crazy? We live in Memphis, Tennessee. Of course we're going to have some more cold weather. Now, what does cold mean? Don't know. But we're going to have some cool weather come through. Well... I was just letting Jim go for it. Oh, okay. Hey, we thank you for tuning in. This is Mid-South Garden, KWAM 107.9 and 990 AM. Join us next week.